0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're
1: listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara.
2: Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best of your sports talk. For Thursday, March the 28th, I'm your host, D.A. Big day in the sports world. It's Major League Baseball's opening day and the beginning of the Sweet 16 tonight. Let's start with baseball. As the Chicago Cubs open up a season now two years removed from their World Series championship, 2017, the Astros won. Last year, the Red Sox won. And we thought that when the Cubs took home the title to break that 108-year drought in 2016, it would be the first of many. However, that hasn't been the case, at least not recently. And So, is there more pressure on a Cubs team to win now since they're far more seasoned than they were a couple of years ago? Here is their president, Theo Epstein, who joined Mullion Hall on 670 The Score in Chicago.
3: Theo, when Joe first got the job with the Cubs, one of his uh, so-called maddenisms was that he brought with him from Tampa was uh, don't ever permit the pressure to exceed the pleasure. Uh, four years later, renewed sense of urgency. We're talking about going into this season and getting off to a great start. Do you want, because this is more of a veteran team now than back in 2016, do you want the pressure to exceed the pleasure for these players?
4: no, no, not at all it's it's a bit you know it's uh that still applies i mean these guys should have fun. we should all be having fun while we compete, and you know uh before the game, between games in the off season um uh, in your mental preparation you you take things really seriously to get an edge because um. It's not easy to win a Major League Baseball. I mean, that's never been more true than it is now. You know, in, in, in our division, in this modern game. Um, so you have to take that part extremely seriously, and we do. But you no, know, when you're out there competing, that's one thing that uh, Joe always tells the guys. Sometimes between at bats, you know, go have fun, go have fun, compete, and have fun. And we should. I think when we're at our best, we're we're enjoying the competition.
5: Theo, are you uncomfortable with the perception that you stepped forward to supply some structure that you felt was missing? Is that closer to being inaccurate or exaggerated than you're comfortable with?
4: I thought that story was was totally overblown and, and kind of missed the central crux of the issue. Uh, because the you know, the players are the most important people in any organization and um this, uh, you know, if there's been a move towards a, a greater sense of urgency and towards a little bit more um, uh, focus on seriousness of work, and, and it, is, it has been organic and come up um, through the players in response to uh, the way uh, we fell short of our expectations last year. Simple. I mean, we. You know, everyone remembers the way last year ended. It was pretty dramatic. It was pretty traumatic. And it was the first time that this group has truly fallen short, that we've really fallen short since we entered our competitive phase. And so it was going to be interesting uh, to see how everyone reacted to that. And it was not a, a moment that, that, that should be wasted. And it was a uh, a critical point and, and sort of the – the next couple of years was probably likely to be defined by how we responded to that. And our players, you know, are the ones who who handled this the, the right way and, and they did not like that feeling. And if you were in the clubhouse after, you know, immediately after that game against Colorado, you could see it on their faces and that started a process um, by which each of them did an honest assessment of, of, where we had fallen short, why we had fallen short, what what everyone's individual role was in it, in it what they could do to make adjustments, um, what they had to accomplish this offseason, what attitude they had to show up with in spring training, what attitude we collectively had to show up with in spring training. And I'm extremely proud of our I'm proud of Joe for, yeah, in his way, going through Um, the same process and even, you know, with his experience and success and incredible track record, making some small adjustments to, to evolve for this group at this time. And I'm proud of the organization for doing the same. And so I had a a small role in it. Jed had a small role in it. uh, The way everyone in the organization did. And, you know, in a leadership position, you want to try to nudge, listen, and, and and get a feel for what's going on and try to galvanize uh, a group. Um, but that was, you know, a, a subtle thing compared to this movement really from the players in reaction to the way last year ended, which would have happened without any guidance. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's a responsibility to make sure things, if, if there's going to be a movement, it goes the right way. So, but it, it was organic. It was from the players. And I think, you know, that, that article, um, really sort of, I think, missed the the crux of the issue in my mind.
2: The Cubs are really interesting. They did not go all in on huge, big-ticket free agent items like they have in the past. They have an organization that clearly has competed for the division and the playoffs the last couple of years. But is that win, is that World Series championship in 2016 just going to be able to give the fans and the media enough satisfy them enough to where there's not going to be unbelievable, unrelenting pressure to finally win another one? Maybe. Maybe that's all that needs to happen, just breaking that curse and they're good for another 100 years. But in terms of what expectations were after they won that title in 2016, there should be a little bit of pressure on the Cubs getting deep into the postseason this year. Another team with expectations every single year, the New York Yankees, who also... Did not go out and sign one of the big ticket free agent items. So, what to make of a relatively quiet Yankees offseason that ended by getting steamrolled by the Red Sox of all teams last October? Should we be surprised the Bombers didn't do more? Here's Boomer and
3: Geo on WFAN in New York on Yankees opening day. (laughs) At the end of the season, I remember thinking as I was watching the Red Sox mow down the Yankees in that divisional series, I thought that the Yankees were going to go out and be embarrassed in this offseason enough to sign big-name free agents. I remember tweeting out as I was leaving Yankee Stadium, uh, after that elimination game, I said, see you at the Machado press conference. I really thought that this was going to be the impetus of them going out and making a big splash move again on the heels of the Giancarlo Stanton trade the year before, and they were going to really go all in, and Brian Cashman did not. Now, yes. He went and made that trade for James Paxton. That might end up being the move that puts them over the top. But it's not as if the Yankees changed their roster, overhauled anything, went out and grabbed a huge piece that was going to be the John Carlos Stanton of 2019 where all eyes were on him because they believed that they're good enough And then we found out that Didi Gregorius is going to be out for a while and how they were going to handle that. And they chose to handle it with basically an unknown shell of a former player that hopefully they can squeeze some greatness out of in the interim. So I, I think that the people who are high on the Yankees are high on the things that you are talking about, that these great players Uh, that they have on the roster already are going to stay healthy. They're going to have great years. Andrew Horan-Torres are going to get better. Aaron Judge could potentially win an MVP. Gary Sanchez becomes himself again. Greg Bird is not a complete waste on this roster. Luke Voigt and Greg Bird, that combination for the Yankees is a great one. And if you believe that and you believe that this bullpen, which is the best in baseball on paper, can help out a staff that, yes, still has some question marks around it, then why the hell not? Why the hell not say that this team is a favorite plus to get to the World Series and plus, win it? Plus
1: their early season schedule is just horrendous in terms of who they're playing. It's almost like... Uh, you know, they're the Harlem Globetrotters <laughs> playing against the Washington Generals uh, m- many times. So. A lot of bad teams. Uh, and I understand it's baseball and anything can happen in baseball. But, you know, come on. This schedule is set up for them to get off to an unbelievable start. Now, uh, a couple things. First and foremost, the Hicks injury, the silver lining, is that both Voigt and Bird are here. Mm-hmm. Neither, they both would not be here, I believe, if Hicks were healthy. So that that's um, kind of like they're lucky that they're both here. They They have to, you know – get off to good starts. They have to show the Yankees that they're, you know, that they need to be here, but when Hicks comes back, that's when this whole thing is going to become really interesting, assuming that everybody else stays healthy out in the outfield. You know, they they'll start with Gardner in center, they'll have Stanton playing left. Uh they'll bring in Talkman when they need him, maybe give those guys a blow late in the game. Like, let's say they're winning today 10 to 2, all right, and they're in the 7th inning. You know, Talkman's going out there somewhere. You know, he's going out there to get somebody off the field. So, I, that's one of the reasons why they went and signed him. Uh, Lemayhu, this is going to be interesting to see where he ends up playing or how much he ends up playing. Uh, I would think that that would all depend on how Tulawitzki's doing at short, because you know Torres and Andujar, are the two guys that mainly are going to be playing every day, and they're going to be moving around a little bit here and there. And then it comes down to Gary Sanchez. So I'm not worried about Judge. I'm not worried about Stanton. I don't worry about first base. I think they got a uh, they got a good problem at first base right now that was handled because of the Hicks injury. Uh, This team is locked and loaded. I think what ended
2: up happening was that acquiring Giancarlo Stanton two off-seasons ago was their big-ticket item for two off-seasons. Until they unload Jacoby Ellsbury, I don't think they really were in the market or had the stomach to pay top dollar for a Manny Machado or for a Bryce Harper. I don't think they want to do that. They've got their luxury tax thing figured out. It's not George that's running the team anymore. It's his sons, Hank and Hal, and they just don't have the appetite to completely overspend out of pressure or spite or anxiety like their dad used to do. And so, kind of a new reality for the Yankees. They're competitive, but they're not going to kill themselves to overspend. Bryce Harper was the big story of the offseason. He ends up with the Philadelphia Phillies, of course. A 13-year, $330 million deal. So in his new home with a new uniform on, and after months of speculation of where he would end up, is Bryce Harper the villain of Major League Baseball? Is he actually, quote-unquote, hated? Here's MLB Network host Robert Flores, who joined Sports Radio 610 in Houston and the Triple Threats. The Athletic, the website The Athletic, uh, does an annual poll every year Uh an
1: anonymous poll of major leaguers. And they claim yeah. to talk to about one third of all major leaguers. So I think this, these results are are, are fairly sig- significant on the question of who's the most overrated player in all of major league
2: baseball. It was a landslide. Bryce Harper got
1: 62% of the votes. Marcus Stroman of the blue Jays was the runner up with 4.1% of the vote. Is this wow. guy really hated that much by his peers? I, you know, I don't know
6: if, if hated is the right word, I'm sure. Listen, this is a guy that has been the subject of scrutiny, magazine picture covers, newspaper articles, social media traffic, everything. We have known about Bryce Harper since he was 16, 17 years old, and he has... Uh, so when, when you're uh, uh, around for that long or uh, people are aware of you, there's going to be a, a certain amount of jealousy. Listen, is he better than Mike Trout? Is he as good as Mike Trout? No, no, no. And, and, and I think that there's quite a gap between the two. I, I mean, there, there was this conversation of, OK, who's better, Trout or Harper? Now, I think that we can establish Bryce Harper's a superstar. Mike Trout is on a whole nother level. But that's not to say that Mike Trout is not an amazing ball player. Uh, I think he's going to have a monster year in, in Philadelphia. Uh, and, you know, there's part of me, I would have loved to have seen him in a, in an Astro uniform, even if it meant for half a season, I, I keep going back to that. What that deal that was agreed to at mm-hmm. some level between the Astros and the Nats, Bryce Harper and, and who's going back, who was going to Washington um, you know what, what? was Tucker involved in the deal? There's so many things I want to know, but uh, make no mistake about it. Bryce Harper is, is a very ama- He's an amazing ball player. He's going to have a tremendous year. Do you think he's overrated? No, I don't think he's overrated. I think he is. Uh, I think he's sufficiently rated. Uh, um, again, if you're saying is he uh, uh, if, if, if he is he the best player in baseball? No, uh, I, I would say it's Trout. I would say Betts, I would put Bregman in that mix, I would put Arenado, and then it's, it's, it's Harper. And, and still, I mean, that is a top five ball player. Uh, and, and look, I'm, I'm forgetting Aaron Judge. So it, it's, it, again, Mike Trout, otherworldly, out of this world, and it's everyone else. And then there's that select group right below him, and I think Harper fits into that mix.
2: Baseball doesn't have highly polarizing players. Maybe if they had a guy who wanted to get into people's face for the New York Yankees, perhaps that would do it. Yasiel Puig, I guess, came close, and he played for the Dodgers, another flagship franchise. But really, at this point, there's just not big enough personalities in baseball to really be all that hated. So Bryce Harper who certainly likes to flaunt his personality on Twitter a little bit, but really isn't aggressive in opinions or a terrible teammate or an awful competitor shoving in people's faces. He kind of qualifies, I suppose, as the villain of baseball, and just by default he becomes the most hated. So baseball's opening day dovetails with the Sweet 16, and people talking about all the number one seeds still alive, the chalk that has marched through, March Madness, Zion Williamson and Duke, but how about Leonard Hamilton and Florida State? They have a pretty good draw going into this regional, and I wonder if people are underrating just how good and what the potential is of the Seminoles. Here is CBS Sports College Basketball Insider John Rothstein. We'll go back to WFN in New York with Joe Beningo and Evan Roberts. Can FSU win a national championship? <laughs>
7: The forgotten team, in my opinion, in this NCAA tournament, a team that can get to a Final Four. And these are the facts. You know, since late January, Florida State's lost two games at North Carolina and in the A C C tournament title game right, against Duke. Duke. Right. That's the right, only game right, they've lost in right, roughly two months. Right, right. They've beaten Gonzaga, you know, uh last year in the Sweet Sixteen, yeah, Killing Tilly. Killing Tilly didn't play in that game. You know, the Gonzaga staff kinda of felt like he could have been the difference in that game. And now, you know, you're in a scenario where and you know, I've said this really, you know, throughout the tournament, Leonard Hamilton's kind of become the sentimental favorite mm-hmm. In his tournament, he's been coaching a long time in a lot of different places, and he's 70. Looks like he's 54. Yeah, he looks a lot. younger than me it, by a lot. Yeah, he's <laughs> 70. He looks like he's 54. But this is, you know, the, this type of stuff you think about. Like, is this his last best chance to get to a Final Four? Was close last year, right. lost to Michigan, but is this his last best chance to get to a Final Four? And they've
3: been battle-tested all year. I mean, think about some of the schools well,
7: they've had to go up. against the league they're in. But yeah, I mean, but I mean, exactly. But, th- but think about this. I mean, that team dominated Virginia. That team beat LSU on a neutral court. That team finished fourth in the ACC. Beat Virginia Tech twice. They're not going to be intimidated by anybody.
3: No, not at all. Uh, how good is this Gonzaga team? You mentioned there's not as good much enough to win a
7: national championship. An elite offensive team. Much different though than the team two years ago that went to the title game and lost to North Carolina. Not as physically imposing. More of a fluid presence up front with guys like Brandon Clark and Rui Hachimura. But you know this team can really, really score the basketball at an elite level. You know, high-level scores, you know, Zach Norvell, you know, Kispert had a really big game the other day against Baylor, but I think, you know, the NCAA tournament offense is about storylines. We saw that yesterday with Duke UCF. It's very rare that you have a rematch in the same round... As you did a year ago. Last year, the West Regional Semifinals were Gonzaga, Florida State, Michigan, Texas A&M. This year, it's Gonzaga, Florida State, Michigan, Texas Tech. <laughs> right. Three of the four same programs are in the same spot in the same area of the country because it's in Southern California. Right,
4: give you uh, so of all the number one seeds that are obviously they stole all left to you. Virginia is the most vulnerable. Yes. Team.
2: Florida State had a deep March last year. They've got athletic, big. Long, NBA-type bodies. And this is a Seminoles team that draws right now perhaps the most vulnerable one seed with Gonzaga. Oh, yeah. I absolutely think that people should take Florida State seriously right now. They found Mojo last year, and John's right. This might be Leonard Hamilton's last great shot at getting to a Final Four and a national championship game. In the NBA, how about the Beasts of the East, the Milwaukee Bucks? A couple of nights ago, taking out the Houston Rockets at home. A nice game for Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Greek freak. A great game by Eric Bledsoe. But this Bucks team has it all. They've got spacing. They've got offense. They've got the superstar center big man. They seem to have just about every piece that you need. And right now, they've got the best record of the East, which means home court advantage throughout the playoffs for them. So did Mike Budenholzer, their head coach, see something special before the season with this
5: team? Here's
2: Coach Budenholzer with Bill Michaels, a 105.7 The Fan in Milwaukee.
5: When you came in and you got a chance to kind of see the pieces that were being put in place, and you got to know the personality of the team, did you see this kind of potential at the beginning of the season?
8: Well, yeah, I mean, we were all really, you know, optimistic and positive, and for myself to you know have the good fortune to be you know selected hired as the coach of the team um we were really really positive but you know i think to to be where we are and have the have had the success is um you know probably even more than any of us uh, expected or anticipated but we certainly did see a ton of potential with you know the way the roster was constructed at that time and then you know in the summer i think John Horst just did a phenomenal job by you know adding Brooke Lopez uh, drafting Dante adding Connington, Um, you know, you could just keep going down the list of how we felt the roster, the trade for Miritich, the trade for George Hill. You know, so I think with what John's done, um, you know, on his side of the the, the equation and the players, it's just uh, everything's come together really, really well.
5: With the recent injuries to Miritich and Brogdon, uh, how big of an adjustment or small of an adjustment has it been for you to get uh, maybe a different rotation or just a different feel for how you're going to play the game?
8: it's certainly you know not not easy or you know i we are a little bit creatures of habit and you know we love to kind of you know we have the things we like to do and the discipline we like to approach the game with and um you know we've had been so healthy and that starting five it just you know it's like every night you just kind of you could you could bank on it um so you know it, we're certainly going to miss Malcolm but um you know i think the team understands this is part of sports this is part of the nba and you know, we've, we've had a rash of injuries kind of right after it, too, so figuring out, you know, who's starting, not starting, how much people are playing, not playing, um, I guess, you know, it gives me something to do on game days.
5: <laughs> uh, with Giannis and the management of, pain management of the ankle and the knees, um, uh, let me ask you this, longevity-wise, is there any, should, should fans be concerned about the longevity of Giannis because of some of the knee issues that he's had, or is this just all precautionary stuff?
8: Yeah, no, I think it's, um, I think precautionary is certainly a word that, that is applicable, and I think, you know, there's there's kind of normal wear and tear on an NBA player and on the NBA body and, and knees and all those things, and um, it's why it's so important that you are, you know, uh, precautionary and you are, you know, I would say aggressively cautious and taking care of their body so that you know, they can play, you know, a 20-year career would just, wouldn't it be great for all of us in Milwaukee to watch Giannis play for 20 years? So, you know, I think there's nothing, you know, from our end that says it's it's not just going to be this long, you know, amazing career. And we want to do everything we can to ensure that that happens. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of what you see throughout the year.
5: Talking with Bucks head coach Mike are joining us now on the Schneider Orange Hotline. Uh, so now, between now and the remainder of the season, uh, how tough is it, a management game of, you know obviously having guys play and still you know stacking wins and success to managing guys to rest them up for the postseason
8: yeah no there's certainly a, a balance that you know most teams or you know particularly you know i think we're we still got a little bit more work to do to kind of you know close out and you know have the first seed and all those good things but you know being being healthy is our number one priority so that's more important than a number one seed more important than anything else so you know, but but there is you know, players have to play, they have to feel like they're in, you know, a good place, you know, both collectively and individually going into the playoffs and you wanna be playing well. So, um, you know, fortunately I guess I've they've been around the league for a long time, you know, a lot of it as an assistant, now a few years as a head coach and um hopefully through all that experience and our players, you know, conversations and engaging them on you know how they feel and what they think they need and just balancing that with, you know, my experience and with staff's experience. Uh, we'll make decisions that, you know, hopefully put us in the best position to be successful in the playoffs.
2: Budenholzer has been perfect for that organization. Just perfect. He has established an offense that clearly runs through Giannis, but takes advantage of other players' talent and how they fit on the roster. He's given them direction and focus, and the roster's just a good roster. That's a tremendous Bucks team. They should be in the Eastern Conference Finals and hosting it. Now, the Toronto Raptors are absolutely a threat as well to come out of the East. But boy, the Bucks have had a wonderful regular season, and I fully expect them to be playing for a trip to the NBA Finals. So, we'll end off on some unfortunate news. We told you yesterday that there's been a report out there from Tom Dundon, the chairman of the AAF, that he's thinking about discontinuing the league if he does not get an agreement with the NFL Players Association. He wants NFLPA players to be able to come down for the practice squad and third-string quarterbacks to be able to play in the Alliance with a relationship with the league. And if he doesn't get it, he has threatened to disband the league. Gary Parish and Jeff Calkins, a 92.9 in Memphis, have been talking about their Memphis Express and the Alliance all season long. In their mind, this power play is the, quote, dumbest thing in the world.
3: This seems insane to me. If you really don't think
9: you can have a league without cooperation from the NFL Player Association, why wouldn't you make sure you got cooperation from the NFLPA before you launch your league? It's the dumbest thing in the world. I, I just want to say that I am. I may have to abandon my dating operations unless Jennifer Aniston uh, <laughs> agrees to date. This is probably a dated reference, yes. but you know, I'm older. Sure, agree <laughs> agrees to date me tomorrow. Well, I mean, it's preposterous. He's trying He's trying to put the blame on whatever lack of success the league is having on the NFL. If the plan was for the NFL to be involved, you could have negotiated that on the front end. Absolutely. You negotiated on the front end. You don't just say, oh, hell, this isn't working. We're going to need NFL players. Yo, NFL, could you come save us from ourselves because... Let's be honest, we don't have anyone, anyone recognizes. the one guy we do, Mike Singletary, ain't going to play him. <laughs> right. So, uh, like, it's the dumbest thing in the world. It's, 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 it's negotiating from a point of complete helplessness, and it's trying to pull a power play from a point of complete hopelessness and weakness, like it's the dumbest thing in the world. Absolutely, if that was key to the league, you get the NFL, and, and you knew, like, you had Bill Poley involved or whatever. If the NFL was planning to, to be involved, they could have been involved from the front from the front end. And I'll be honest, I think the NFL is happy and should be happy that a league like this league exists, right? Because there'll be some good players developed, and you can, there will be. That, that will just happen. There will be some good players developed. and they sh- But if I had a practice squad tackle or something, would I want him to be down here playing for Memphis rather than in my off-season conditioning program and whatever up in Buffalo? No, I'd I like them right under our roof, where we're monitoring everything and putting them through workouts and this and that. I don't want them getting injured on the in the in Memphis Liberty Bowl playing, for, you know, against Steve Spurrier. So I actually don't see the incentive for the NFL to be involved. Maybe if they want to be, they can be, but I think they probably like their off-season program. And the truth of the matter is, is that they're already having. You know, they 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 carefully negotiate with the players' association when players can and can't work out and whatever else. You can't, as the commissioner, just, just sort of blame the league for problems that you have created. It's, a, it's preposterous.
2: I still got to believe that this is not ignorance from the Alliance, but this is strategy in trying to power play with the NFLPA, knowing that they can survive, and they will survive even without it, but maybe a race to get that agreement with the NFLPA before the XFL. Ends up launching next winter. But, I mean, come on. The league's been good. I don't want to see the league lost after just eight weeks of football. Get it together, Tom Dundon. That will do it for us here on the best of your sports talk. Around the Dial for Thursday, March the 28th. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone.
1: Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on radio.com or the radio.com
0: app.